Hello and welcome to the Shock Your Potential podcast. I am your host, Michael Sherlock. Each one of us holds great potential, and tapping into that potential is my passion and my mission. Shock Your Potential is a global leadership training company dedicated to creating positive, productive, and profitable workplaces. We develop, nurture, train, and guide leaders at all levels and at all points in their career. Through this podcast, I get to interview amazing leaders who are shocking their own potential and the potential of those around them. Learn more about us today at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com. And don't forget to check out my two best-selling books, Tell Me More, How to Ask the Right Questions and Get the Most Out of Your Employees, and Sales Mixology, Why the Most Potent Sales and Customer Experiences Follow a Recipe for Success. Join us now as we meet another great guest. And don't forget, subscribe, rate, and like us today. Thank you for joining us again on Shock Your Potential. And my guest today is going to help us really shock our potential by making sure we know the right things to say to market ourselves. Her name is Chala Dinkoy, and she has a very impressive resume. But first of all, I want to say she is known as the repositioning expert. And if ever there was a time for any of us to know how to reposition ourselves or reposition our companies, it is now. But her background is fantastic. She's been an award-winning marketer at companies such as some of my favorites, Pepsi, of course, Frito-Lay, a little bit of a connection there, uh, Pizza Hut, and uh, many, many more that we all know, brand names that we know and love. And she's also a regular contributor on a really big national scale in terms of ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, you name it. And by the way, talking about repositioning, she actually, before we uh, had this scheduled, sent me some brownies in the mail to thank me for booking her on the show. And if anybody, you know me, you, the weight of my heart is food and chocolate. So Chala, thank yeah. you so much for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so glad you got them. Cause I get notes saying my kids ate it or, you know, like I shared it in the office and I'm so glad like to have someone saying I ate it. Um, I'm just going to say they go really, really well when you cut them up into little squares and put them on uh, vanilla ice cream. Just ah! <laughs> now you're saying <laughs> you're good. <laughs> they are some good brownies. In fact, since I only ate one, maybe the next one I will cut in half the middle way, put vanilla ice cream and make a brownie sandwich. There we go. <laughs> Clearly it's late in the day. I'm starving. <laughs> Anybody tell me what you told. And a lot of people get them, but my God. This is going to be memorable. I can tell already. Now that is repositioning. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. So tell us a little bit about yourself other than the little brief info, the intro that I gave you and talk about your business and how you help people to shock their potential. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, did you ever work in the corporate, like as a corporate employee? So oh, yeah. you know my pain that I was 18 years in sort of that kind of world. I was a corporate girl. And then for 18 years, I worked for such sexy brands that everybody wanted to sell to me. I, I don't know if that happened to you, but I spent 18 years saying, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, thank you. And I was most of the time like horrified by these really big vendors 
and their presentations. And I, I quit my job, you know, and got certified as a coach and thought, you know, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to heal the world. <laughs> First, I started thinking, you know, I'm going to start in the people, you know, tears in the boardroom kind of thing and start there, the leadership stuff that you do. And when I went out and got my, uh, you know, the ICF sort of like hung my shingle, um, I was starving. I could not, I, I, if I wasn't married at the time, I probably couldn't have paid anything because I didn't make any money. And if um, you look at the number of coaches now, there are more, it's because that was like eight years ago. Um, oh, yeah. They're starving too. The, the median income is like 20 grand. So I looked at, okay, Chala, what did you learn in marketing all these years? And I used to launch new products for Pepsi, Pizza Hut, Frito-Lay. And every year I had to figure out, okay, how are we going to position this thing? It's the same thing as what we're already selling, but just a little bit different, maybe different flavor, different, you know, thing. And so I had to reposition. We had to make it look different. We had to make it sound different. We had to appeal to a different target market. We had to price it differently because it just couldn't cannibalize the same shelf. So that's how I learned to do positioning. And then I positioned myself. I repositioned myself as a business coach, a marketing coach. I started getting a little bit more traction. And then I did something called super niching, which is what I'll talk about. So the super niching is getting really, 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 really specific about one industry or interest group and helping them solve just one problem and the super niche that i now have is elevator pitch coaching mm -hmm. because, and here's my elevator pitch michael the, did you know that three out of four business owners never get asked for their information or for a meeting after they introduce themselves to a prospect never so wow. yeah Three out of four. And what I do is I fix what they're saying so that every time they say hello, it turns into a, can I have a meeting with you? Wow. We need your card. Wow. Can we talk about, can we talk after this? That's what I want for all the people who are listening today. And for all the people who ever, you know, listen to anything I have to say, that's what I want for them. Well, and now I know that what, when you asked me that question before we began, now I know really that I suck at it. <laughs> Why do you say that? How do you know that? I'm dancing all over the place and I'm all here and there. I it is it's funny because I've been in sales and marketing my entire career. I was VP of sales for a company where I, you know, was responsible for a hundred million a year of, of revenue. And I can sell the dickens off of anything, but when people are like, So what exactly do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know, ask me whatever day. No, I, listen, I had a coach to help me figure mine out. That's what I do for a living. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like on, I've been like yesterday, I was spoke at a conference. I was fixing pitches like in the moment. On, and then when I was on the stage, they would line up and I would do it. But to do it for myself, I needed a coach. So I totally get it. Totally. Yeah. Get it. I'm, so happy, I'm so happy to polish your pitch if you want me to. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you do with me? So I usually say, well, I used to say, I'm a sales and leadership expert. And I, I guess I would say I fix problems with your sales and leadership team so they're more effective and create a better working environment. But that's pretty wordy. Yeah, so let me, uh, um, is that the one you want me to polish or you have a new one for uh, the new business? Hmm. No, I think the new business is pretty self-explanatory. That one works well. <laughs> All right, so uh, do I have your permission to polish? 
Yes, go for it. This is exciting. It's exciting. Okay. So the whole um, thing about super niching is it's not about changing your whole business. It's about adding a revenue stream. Or if you want, you could change your whole business. But so let's think about just adding a revenue stream where, what industry or interest group. So when I say interest group, like uh, diverse businesses or women-owned businesses, they gather every single day in the U.S., I swear to God. So that's an interest group that I can, I can get behind. So what industry or interest group, if you had your last dollar, would you spend in doubling, tripling your business in? Um, this may seem really a, like a generic answer, but medical sales. And what I mean by that is either, you know, so I spent a lot of time in hearing aids and, you know, that kind of environment, uh, medical sales to doctors, physicians, all those types of things. So anywhere where there's a patient and a, and a product or service, that medical sales environment is just my complete niche because I know how to make people make the right decisions for their healthcare needs in a way that makes them feel good. Okay. So is that medical uh, device manufacturers or is it pharma? Like what industry would it be exactly? Um, so when you're, when you're dealing with a salesperson directly to a patient. So if I really got really niche, it might be, so a, for instance, would be a, um, a plastic surgeon's office where somebody comes in for a consultation and, you know, and they're deciding on if they want a tummy tuck or they want a brow lift or whatever, or someone coming in to buy a hearing aid or someone deciding to get uh, their teeth redone. It's, you know, my I'm real niche is your services. I'm not interested in what they're selling. I'm interested in who buys your services. Would you classify that as healthcare? The he yeah, healthcare? Probably. Okay. Okay. I don't know if that's too broad, but you could go, go deeper if you wanted to. Okay. So what is the number one most expensive problem that you solve for them? Um, lost opportunity. Okay, and say more about that. Okay, so for instance, um, in any of those cases, oftentimes the person who's doing the sales pitch, and I put that in quotation marks because they don't like to think of it as a sales pitch, um, they, won't, they, they walk away from buying signals from the patient um, they don't want to seem pushy. You know, the patient will let me know when they're ready. And so there's this hesitancy within that healthcare mindset that anything sales related is bad because, you know, their hang up is that then you're trying to push something on someone, but no one walks into an office uh, of any medical kind and has a discussion about anything related to this that they don't want a solution for. So it's about how you nurture that or how you ask the right questions. And it's also then if the person says, I want to think about it, how you follow up. And in most cases, there's never any follow-up because people are so uncertain about how to make the follow-up. Okay. They're uncomfortable. And so what is the lost sales opportunity consequence? Is it, is it just lost revenue or is it something bigger? Um, it, in, in all cases, there's something bigger. There's definitely lost revenue, but let me give you an example. So uh, once upon a time in when I was in hearing healthcare and I was observing an audiologist in her pitch and she was with clients. Now the clients had come in there eight times. This was the ninth time they were coming, but not because they were making up their mind because she just wouldn't take them to the next step. And when they walked in, they literally said, I'm sorry, we're late. We were just having a test drive. We're making our final decision between a Lexus and a Mercedes. 
And an hour later, she still wasn't closing that. And they said to her, you know, we just want your recommendation. What should we get for my husband? So an hour later, I'm like, this, my head is going to explode. The people are begging for a solution. You're not giving them the solution because you're afraid to ask for money. And the hearing aids, you know, it, it's not a it's not a cheap purchase. But the the opportunity cost is not only lost revenue for that that practice, that medical practice, but lost time with that person. The fact that that, that was their ninth time coming which is ridiculous. This was a little extreme, but even if it's a second time coming or third time coming, that's how many more weeks that they don't have hearing health. You but know, they're not hearing to the best of their life. I'm going to ask you, is it, is the bigger uh, problem, not, not just lost revenue, but the bigger problem than that is that the patients stay sick? Yes. Okay. Yes. Can you give me a statistic around that or can we make it up now and you can look it up and is there such a thing that uh, in the healthcare industry, um, because of the mindset around selling healthcare, three out of four or whatever, 70% of patients uh, prolong their illness. Because okay, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure there is. I'm sure I could get those kind of stuff. That's good. So then, so, so then you would start your, when they say, what is it that you do, Michael? Then you would say, did you know that 70% of uh, patients stay sick longer than they have to because of the inability of the healthcare sales rep to to get over the mindset of selling, selling healthcare, right? And what I do is, what do you do? I do coaching, training. I do co training. You said to fix their mindset, give them tools and you know whatever processes to get them to shorten the sales so that more people are healed right away. More people reach oh. that. You see, so yeah. So how different is that from saying I'm a trainer, right? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, and it's really, I took a lot of notes. Good thing we have this tape so I can go back. And I think it's, it's really, I mean, you just gave a really poignant example of how, I know we're all talking, talking these days, like my air quotes again, about, you know, talking about what problem we solve. But I think that's such a great way to catch somebody's interest. And the elevator pitch is always about capturing enough interest in the first couple seconds that people go, wait, what? Yeah. Wait, I didn't, not only did I not know that, but it didn't sound a like it would have anything to do with me or even catch my interest until you put it into numbers in a different way. I love that. That's fantastic. That is excellent. So 70% of humans purchase based on pain. And, um, you know, and if you're talking about improving something, they're just less interested because humans, we are constantly seeking for danger, right? It's in our DNA. And so when you're talking about pain, they have to listen to it because it's, it's about a danger to them, right? And that's why we use that as a hook. Now, the, the reason why we use a super niche is because, yeah, once you hook them in, you can cross sell them so many different things. But until you figure out what that super niche is, one, it takes seven to 12 touches for someone to buy you, as you know, and from your yep. sales. So if you're not constantly in that small, small niche world of their uh, world, then you're not constantly hitting them. So then you're like diluting. And so one day you go and you are doing your marketing or your whatever it is that you're doing to an IT uh, you know, industry. Then the next day you're doing it to, to pharma. 
then the next day you're doing it to something coaches. So you are not maximizing that seven to 12. That's the whole idea. Right. Gotcha. Really quickly. I'll give you an example. Um, an IT company who, uh, you know, IT companies like dime a dozen, they're just like realtors, right? They're just like everywhere. <laughs> so they, it was a $6 million company. They were losing about half of it because they were losing some big clients and they hired me because they heard about the super niching. So we super niche them within a couple of months into, uh, and we did the research, like there is no way they knew this or that I would know this. I, there's no way. So we researched it and the market always tells us what there is. And it was that the healthcare centers, um, they had, they could reduce the call wait time in the call centers for healthcare. So we sub-branded a new brand uh, that's called On Hold Rescue. It's the picture of a, you know, like a operator with the cross of the, uh, you know, the red, the, uh, what is it called? The medicine, the medical cross. And so it's, their their symbol and that's their logo and they sold eight hundred and five thousand dollars within a couple of months of creating that they didn't have to hire anybody else they didn't have to change anything it was already what they do but we super niched it and messaged it and packaged it and then we did the marketing around it all they did was they just uh, put out an email with the logo and that was it and they sold it to an existing client who was buying other services so that's what's available when you super niche. Right. Absolutely. So yeah. uh, just, just to have fun going backwards a little bit, you know, you talked about, you know, I mean, being in, in the role you were in at, at PepsiCo, they're, you know, being sold by a lot of people or attempted to be sold. You know, what, what kind of things were people doing wrong or that turned you off? Because I think it's really, it's very helpful to know and be able to reflect on ourselves what we may be doing wrong without really knowing it. Oh yeah. I have whole trainings about this and I love this question because I spent 18 years like hitting my head, you know, (laughs) going, why, why is this person talking to me? (laughs) Honestly, There's actually a, a picture of me pregnant uh, on the emailer to, for my bootcamp called the elevator pitch bootcamp, where I almost gave birth during a vendor presentation because they spent three hours. They imprisoned me for three hours. Yeah. They, they were selling a very, very, when I worked for the pen company, BIC, um, they had, uh, at the time it was quite revolutionary, but they had facial recognition in their displays at Staples. So, you know, back to school pen, huge thing. I thought, wow, if I bring this, on board, this is going to be amazing. So they, the displays could recognize if you're a man, woman, or child and have uh, direct couponing that's relevant or messaging that's relevant to each different person. So it's really cool. But, oh my God, Michael, they didn't once in three hours say my brand's the word. They didn't even mention my brand. All they talked about was all of their other success about the technology, about this, about that. They never once talked about the brand problem. They never once talked about how we were addressing it in other ways or how they would be helping us or how they had helped somebody in the same problem or industry or anything related to us. So that is the number one problem in sales that you would know that like that's what I change right away with any any clients marketing and sales is like stop talking about yourself stop it's called self amnesia stop talking about your products stop talking about your service i don't care that's why the first question i asked you was who is the target the second question is what is their pain i didn't mm-hmm. want to hear what you do until the third question so that's 
that's the sad part is there yeah, and that's to just go into what they do who they are we don't care yeah and that's, it's, I mean, that's really the basis of, especially my leadership in sales. You know, my leadership book is called, tell me more, how to ask the right questions and get the most out of your employees. Nice. Yeah. The more we ask questions, the more we get buy-in, you know, you get engagement and the more you get engagement, you can get buy-in. And once you, you know, get past some of those elements, you can have different conversations. And I use the same in my sales and customer service trainings is about, ask don't assume that you know what that that person wants that customer wants you have to ask and even if you're right in a lot of cases you are right but by not assuming you're right you learn more you're open to more but yeah. also you show such respect for your customer or client by asking questions and validating and letting them say it so they can also buy in themselves better along the way that's true so um the, you can do that, like really good sales reps, like you probably were, can do that when it's a, uh, when they meet someone and it's a one-on-one -on -one because it's a conversation. Like, what do you do? Oh, what is it that you do? Let me tell you. So, but when it's a, a platform skill, like one-to-many, like right now, I don't know if you've been to any networking events or conferences, but what it is is in Zoom they have breakout rooms. So mm -hmm. you're literally you have you're shut into a, a breakout room with like five other people. You've got a timer, the giant clock, and then you have to go yeah. around, you have to like crank that out, and then you're shut out and shot into another breakout room. So it's like speed dating, but even faster. So there's very little opportunity, and, and most of the people that I see are talking, still talking about how many employees they have, still talking about how many years of business they've been in, how many countries they're in. Nobody cares, right? So in that frame that's when you need an elevator pitch where you 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 don't have the opportunity to ask anything and but um not assuming and asking all the right questions they're all the right tools for when you're in a meeting in an actual face-to-face one-on-one situation absolutely but what we try to do is we go one step further we make you a super niche expert in that industry and in that problem so that not only are you co-creating that, you know, the, the proposal or the scope of work together in the first meeting, it's called a one meeting close. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know all about this, but so we use, we, we marry the techniques of asking with telling so that we can get to the solution and to the next step way faster because on average, it takes about 18 months for a large corporation and they have yeah. about seven decision makers. Right. On average, I mean, these are B2B stats. So, and it takes, and for every added person, it takes incremental decision time. So we, um, by making you an expert, we compress trust. We compress that time so that when everybody, all the decision makers, the purse and the budget and the decision maker, the authority, everybody's in the room, and then there's a whole, you know, way that we use to engage them to position ourselves as an expert inside and outside of that boardroom and also how to engage them with the questions that you're talking about to co-create the solution, which has been brilliant for myself and for my clients who've landed like dream, dream million dollar clients and they use it like to the script. Right. So, Very good. All the combinations of what you're talking about. Excellent. I think, and that's, 
I, I think it's really important for people to hear, you know, I have a really interesting uh, a following. And so the people who listen to my podcast are everywhere from entrepreneurs, other business um, you know, owners, but I have a lot, a significant number of uh, followers that are kind of in that um, early to mid career point, and a lot of, and most of them are in sales. And what I hear sometimes in questions from them is, is concerns about you know how they promote themselves, you know how they really, you know maybe they're not trying to make that big sale like that, but still you know, how you get the next promotion or, you know, in this world, how do you get a job if you were part of a downsize? And it's still a sales process because you're selling yourself. So it's, I think a lot of your techniques, you know, it, it'd be very interesting for somebody to listen and engage in more in what you do and say, how can I take this and apply it to me to the next level as well as enhance my job skills? Oh, absolutely. I teach, uh, my girlfriend's a, um, she owns a company, but she also does teaching at a local college. So I teach um, a couple of classes about how to find a job, right? And they're like last year uh, students. And it's, it's all the same stuff. And I, I teach exactly the same model to my $30,000 clients as I teach exactly the same model to the prisoners that I volunteer with in a men's prison in, in um, Brampton in Toronto. It's the same thing, and it's all about super niching, focusing, becoming seven to 12 touches, so be, being so present in everything they consume and being so specific with who you help and what you help them with. That's all it is. That's all it is once you make that decision, but that's not an easy decision, and I, I don't want anyone to guess at that, right? That is one of the biggest mistakes that businesses make. When I right. spent years spending millions of dollars figuring that out through research. And then I, I came and looked at like us small businesses and they're just throwing spaghetti at the wall to figure it out. Or they're just guessing or asking web designers or sales reps to figure out, you know, the architecture of their actual strategy. Cause I mean, they don't know themselves. So when they find out, when they hear me speak, they're like, Oh my God, there's actually, you have to do research. You have to ask the market. You can't decide by yourself. And you have to start with hypotheses and then you have to eliminate them. And then you have to talk to apples to apples and you have to eliminate. Anyway, so it's 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 a process that I've created to a two week process where you figure out your super niche for us. Um, so I'm so happy that I'll, I usually share this for free on um, my boot camps. So I have every six weeks I have uh, the B2B elevator pitch boot camp. And um, well, you'll get all my links, but um, yeah, come and check it out. And uh, the whole idea, and I, I want like this quote, is that Chala gave us for free what we didn't get from the last three paid trainings. So that's there what I go. want that I want to serve. All right. I love it. Well, so now I want to take a little bit of a turn and ask some more things just about you. So I love to ask this question is, uh, you know, because I deal with potential, shocking your potential. Uh, what's the greatest professional lesson that you've learned that shocked your potential? COVID. Hello. You and I were talking. <laughs> about oh, my God. You know, it's it's almost like a like a cosmic joke that I said 2020 is going to be the year of ease for me right and it was the, the complete opposite and it was like the year of um growth like on every level like every level but but certainly in my business and 
I'm lucky that like you, I don't think I'm ever going to have to get on a plane again because mm-hmm. I convert my funnels into, uh, to online. And I'm, I'm so grateful. It took so much, uh, faith reconfiguring, but all the work that I, that I had done on myself to be able to step out into the unknown without any guarantees and to take financial, huge financial risks to do it. I was able to do without a lot of, uh, you know, heartbreak, I was able to do it. So I know that I'm, I've moved so far as a business owner. I've never invested so much in my business and in coaching to figure out my new funnels, uh, even when I first launched. So that's, that shock, talk about a shock, Michael. (laughs) I love it. And it is true. Um, You know, for all the challenges we've had, I, I can't imagine something, anything better happening to my business. I wouldn't have said that the first two weeks I sat in my, little office alone here and sucked my thumb, you know, <laughs> Fetal position. I know I've been there Fetal position going, but I want to. And I laughed because I was like, I was supposed to cross a million miles with Delta by July. That was the target. And I I'm sitting here now going, who cares? <laughs> I know. I know. It's better. That was a thing. It's better. I was in the groove too, you know, I mean, I, I didn't pick up the phone last year. One time I was invited to speak at every conference. I didn't, I didn't do any marketing. I had no funnels. That was it. I'd go and speak and that was it. I'd close the business. It was great. Ah. But this is, this is definitely different. So now on the same lines, if you could go back at any point in time and talk to the younger child and tell her anything that would have shocked her potential farther, faster, or kept her on the, the same page pace, when would you go back to talking to her and what would you tell her? Oh God, I would have become an entrepreneur so much faster. Honestly, like I look at young entrepreneurs now and I go, God, if I were, you know, like I'm so so proud of you so happy for you that you've done this because and even so many young people don't have never been anything else right but the you know the immigrant background that i came from and my parents were both corporate warriors you know they were both restructured into their retirement what like and they taught us they gave us those values that you, you work really hard in school so you can get into a really big company and you know you'll have security and their whole entire existence was about security because they came from a developing country and yes. they were educated but it didn't matter they still wanted those values and they were so the antithesis i had to like crash those values to be able to become you know what i am and, and quadrupled my income and, and lived, lived the dream life, right? And I'm still doing it. Like, so it's still, every time like a crisis happens, um, I'm farther than I was, but it certainly definitely still scares me, right? But yeah. I'm so much than I was, I'm so grateful. Yeah, I know, I look back now and I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur because the first time I started my uh, my first company, I was in my mid to late 20s. And I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't know enough then. I didn't have enough connections. I didn't see the world in a big enough role. And now I look back and go, gosh, I wish I would have known about the National Speakers Association. If I would have known about, you know, all these different groups that I know about now, because it would have been a much different trajectory. And I love my background. I've had a fantastic career, but you know, now it's like, finally, I'm like, gosh, now I'm just getting it. And sometimes I'm like, am I too old to be? 
finally hitting my stride. <laughs> no way. One of my first coaches was 61 when she started her business. And she was mm -hmm. such an inspiration, honest to God. She had more energy than you and me and four of us put, put together. And she still wow. does. Yeah. So she, so she started her, her, her business at 61 and she hit, you know, seven figures very quickly. Nice. And I, in awe. So after I saw that, I was like, Jesus, I can do this. You know, there's nothing in my way. I can do it all. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. We could talk forever. Um, oh. and I know we're going to have all of your contact information on our show notes, but in case anybody wants to type it in right now and find you, what's the best way for them to find you? So I'd like to actually offer a gift for anybody who's listening. So if you go to my website, repositioner.com and you put a slash gift, then you'll download a free copy of my book, Gentle Marketing, the gentle way to attract loads of clients without having to chase them. And the um, other thing that you'll be directed to is an opportunity to talk to me. So if you're interested in you know, hiring someone like me or you just want to see how I can help you, if there's a fit, please go ahead and you never know where it'll go. Go ahead and, and click the link that says book a call with Chala. Excellent. So before we go, do you have any last words of wisdom or pearls of advice for my listeners and viewers? Focus, please, please focus everyone. That's all I got to leave you with. Don't be a generalist. Stop telling people you do everything for everyone, please. It's not going to work. It. True, true. Thank you, Chala. It's been a wonderful uh, experience having you on our podcast today. And I'm so glad that we've connected. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Shock Your Potential. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and like our podcast. And for more information, find us at shockyourpotential.com and shockyourpotentialpodcast.com.